Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Bobby Carpenter will join us. We'll talk NFL and college football headlines with the former Buckeye, former first-round pick in the NFL uh, draft for the Cowboys. Uh, he'll be with us in about 20 minutes from now. NBA draft was last night. We went through what we thought of the overall broadcast, which is not great. How long did uh, you guys actually stick with it? I made it so I, I, was, I was somewhere with family, then I went home. First 10 picks I watched pretty much throughout. Went home and probably watched the final three picks the first round, trying to see if Kennedy Chandler was going to go in the first round, and then maybe the first five or six the second round Yeah. before completely checking out. I was in and out, um, but I was on it a lot through the first ten. Um, but I missed, like, the commissioner announcing picks. I saw a lot of other stuff. I tried to make it to the Knicks um, at 11. But after that, I was completely out. I lasted about as long as uh, you did, Paul, on the broadcast itself. I was, I was back and forth um, early second round as I made it up to the – I went from downstairs to the upstairs and flipped on the TV and started flipping around. I checked back in and stuck with it for about three picks. And – um, prior to, I, I did see the, the, the Knicks make their selection, changed off of it, came back when they were setting up the, here's why it still matters at pick 15. And, and then it, I just, I rolled my eyes at it and turned it off. But when they went, it's also when weird they went, to, move, uh, to flex that halfway through the first round, like we yeah. all know people pass pick. I mean, yeah, it's still important. When they went away, when they showed the second replay hug, <laughs> which was, I, I think, at number six. Let's see that again. And this is what it's all slow -mo about. Slow-mo this time. It was slow-mo. I'm not kidding you. Look at the four. Look at the, look, at the, look at the solid base. Square Mother, away, shoulder length apart as they lean in for the hug. This Mother is the type of posture you want to see. Mother draft pick son on ESPN. I talked to my remote control. I said ABC. Then I endured Stephen A for a little while. But they were going immediately to mom or mom and dad on the couch with the player immediately after the pick, which I also found insufferable. Who's the woman that was conducting those interviews? I didn't even Monica know. Monica McNutt. I mean, it was just purposeless. I find most family interviews purposeless, absolutely uninformative. Everybody's got parents. Everybody has big moments in their lives. At big moments in people's lives, I do not... Maybe I'm unique in this. I don't wonder. Gee, I wonder what their mom and dad are thinking. Um, and so I hated that also. So I so, found both telecasts insufferable. I love anything where you just keep talking and it gets into 
can you believe that Make-A-Wish kid <laughs> territory? <laughs> what you're getting with, I mean, everybody's got parents. I don't care about your parents. All I care about with the parents, Paul, is I like to see the parents. I yeah, like to that, see what the parents that created. Who bred this person? Who bred this, this NBA star? Like, who bred this six foot 10, 250 pound man at 18 years old? Yeah, or I'm curious about that. I do like to see that. Like, uh, uh, Chet Holmgren's dad with the, the ponytail, the guy who they showed who's. <laughs> the, all the games are on TV now for Gonzaga, but he's fi- he films every game since he was like eight. So he's in the crowd. You know, they showed him filming on his own private, you know, camcorder the, every game. I like seeing his, you know, parents walk in or anyone's parents to see what the parents look like. But when Monica McNutt gets cut off because there's another draft pick from talking to the mom, she's talking to the draft pick at one point, and then, Mom, I, I know Mom's excited, but we got to get back to the podium. Oh. And, and David said, well, we'll get right back to Mom here in a minute. You could tell it's like I don't want – to be sitting here and bring mom to the couch for the interview. <laughs> and then mom doesn't get to speak. So I've got to, I got to get, you know, we got to get it back to David Silver for pick number two of the NBA draft. <laughs> but we're going to get back to. We'll get back to mom. Paolo Bancaro's mom has been waiting patiently. So she's got plenty to say when we come back. <laughs> that, this, but here's the second pick of the NBA draft. This is the deep dive that we all deserved but didn't get. Um, Jake LaRavia, who ends up being the 19th overall selection by the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies traded up. So I don't know if the websites will actually say he's on the Grizzlies no. roster right now. Um, but the, the Grizzlies traded up for him at pick 19 out of uh, Wake Forest. Um, literally within the last couple of weeks, his draft stock skyrocketed. My sources say he's on the T-Wolves. Okay. Uh, that's, so he was officially drafted where the Timberwolves were supposed to select at 19, and uh, they probably made the selection, and then he's now a Grizzly. Um, so Google and the media... I put that in quotations, like they were reporting that he was 22 years old. In fact, he's 20. And so the the story goes, LaRavia was like, I, my agent asked me about this. I was born in 2001. Um, we, we went, got the birth certificate to prove that I'm 20 and not 22. And if you Google how old he is, he pops up at the time, he popped up as 22 years old. And teams were just going based on that, like, height, weight, age, all that, and had no idea that, in fact, he was 20 years old, and that improved his draft stock. That, that, that likely made him a first-round pick last night. They love uh, the older guys in Minnesota. I, I like to call this the reverse yeah. Raphael for Cal, when yeah. he was a Brave yeah. who <laughs> got a contract, and the Braves, I would think, at one point tried to get money back because they thought they signed him as, like, a 14-year-old. And he was really 19. So when they re-signed him, he was like 29. But they thought he was 24. They're like, well, wait a minute. This isn't right. Because the birth records from wherever he was from were not accurate on just how old he was. But uh, this, is the, this is the good side of that, where you're actually younger than what people think you well, are. Well, he's lucky that they caught it. Because where he's drafted versus where he was projected are vastly different areas of the draft. He was projected to go mid to late second round. He could be on the list right now with Scottie Pippen Jr. as an undrafted player. And he ends up being the 19th overall selection, which means he will receive a four-year contract worth $13 million. Like That is game-changing compared to where he was projected to go. So the Grizz loved him. The Grizz loved him, but, I mean, executives are basing your prospect status off of your age and your development opportunity with them 
And 20 is much better to them than 22, if, especially if you're going to be bouncing around a lot to different developmental leagues, which is where he's likely headed. But still, he gets four years, 13 million to do so. So my first that's rare, thought, that's rare to see. When I hear this story, is what's Wake Forest doing? How do they not have the accurate age of the guy in their media guide when they bring someone in? But like, he had, it, he had to prove not, he was born on November third, two thousand one. It should not get to NBA draft pre- preparation to learn this. You were at an ACC institution. Yeah, I mean Steve Forbes, the head coach and the administration, led by one John Curry at Wake Forest should be more on the ball. Oh, well, that's your issue. If his interview skills or anything like his age skills with people, then that's why we had this mix-up at Wake Forest. They should know how old he is. Unless you just lied to everyone. But why would you lie and say you're older? Unless you're just trying to get into a bar. It's just a, it's just a typo that you're no trying to get one... in the NBA, not a bar. Not the campus bar. Come on. They put he was born in 1999 instead of 2001, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know... Why else? I mean, once, that, once you type up the bio, it's in there. And if you don't look, if you don't look Google yourself, you don't even catch it, really. That's an even funnier twist of this is he's been underage drinking at nightclubs for a year and a half. And he had to keep the lie going. <laughs> yeah, maybe to that's tell it. people just to make sure that his but, ID still held up. The way he told the story last night uh, to the New York Post was he's like uh, his agent called up and was like, Jake, you're 22. Like it, everyone's reporting you're 22 years old. He's like, no, I'm I'm 20. He's like, we need to we need to prove this immediately. Well, that's a, that's a good here's agent. My, here's my license. I'll send you I'll send you a picture. I'll text you a picture of my license. Yep. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 is where you can find us. Um, mentioned this late last week when the news came down. We went through all the cities where the 2026 World Cup will be played and all the host cities. Nashville, of course, not one of them. Kansas City was. Um, the impact long-term for this is interesting to follow because as a part of this proposal with FIFA, Kansas City and the government there, they are going to put in mass transit from the city to the Arrowhead complex. And given the fact that the Chiefs have a lease that is expiring until in 2031, all of these upgrades to the stadium will likely make that a complete non-factor when it comes time to use leverage for either a new build or flex that you're actually going to buy property and and use it on your own. In terms of you got to stay. Yeah, it's not it's good. we're going to see the opposite of what happened with or what is happening with the Browns, for instance. And it's all because Kansas City's awarded the one one of the host sites for the World Cup in 2026. So I, I found that very the interesting. Royals too. How much is that going to cost? Because I saw 51 million. So I saw a different story or a different piece of the story that 51 million in improvements, and I thought that's a pretty minimal investment in the building that would still allow them to leave uh, or go build somewhere else. I didn't see the the mass transit thing, and I thought to myself, 51 million isn't a very big investment. They could stay through. 2028, 2030, with that money invested in the building, and not feel bad about it and depart. I didn't see the mass transit element. Yeah, they're gonna, they're going, which is to, great for the Royals, also. Yes, and and they have a great complex there. It is hard to get in, like uh, tailgate time. But it's also very old. Like it, it, a stadium. Consider how little uh, we we actually visit these stadiums before they move on to the new ones now. 
This one's built in 73. Smallest jumbotrons in the league by far, I think. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah, it's 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 Buffalo's stadium. I think right around the same yeah, era. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the comp to me is if you go to a game in Orchard Park and Arrowhead, environments are different. Yeah, it's 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 more of a bowl. Orchard Park, Bills Stadium is less of a bowl there like it is in Arrowhead. Because but it's dug in. Orchard Park is dug the, in. Kansas City's ground level. When you walk around the stadiums, though, and I've been in both, it's very similar. I mean, and it's not it's nice. Bare bones. Yeah. But you can make it work. Right? Well, I mean, Kansas City's also, uh, both of those places have two of the best environments you're going to find. Yes. Because of the passion. Absolutely. In the, the stadium aura, like, even if you tore it down there. and rebuild it, I, I, I don't. The fan base is it factors into it, but tearing down Arrowhead with just the the atmosphere that it creates, um, there's just a different vibe there because of the stadium and, aspect. And you know how I know those fan bases are truly special? The clamoring for anything new is not coming from those fan bases. Those stadiums still exist today in 2022 because those fans want to go watch their football team. Yep. And they like the history of those venues. You're right. They're not the ones doing it. Buffalo's going to get a new stadium, but... It's because the owner want a new, wants a new stadium and wants more money out of a new stadium. And, and Kansas City, the same way. I respect that with those fan bases. It's also two cities, not to demean the two places, but they're not as into nice things as L.A. when they build their stadium. Well, Kansas City is different places. than Buffalo in this respect. They, they want to host Yeah, they want to host events. And, you Buffalo's know, given up. They... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're hosting the NFL draft, for instance, uh, coming up. So and the World Cup. And the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're looking to attract a, a more, more aspects than just 10 home, home games a year for the, for the Chiefs. Uh, they're going about it the non-conventional way because FIFA chose Kansas City, and the city's going to buy in now to those upgrades. And the, for, for once, you're not going to have to hear ownership try to flex about needing certain things and certain aspects that other markets provide or the footprint of the stadium provides to the downtown area um, with upgrades that you want built in if you're going to continue the lease with the city. And it's a MLB and MLS story right? Uh, city as opposed to uh, hockey as your second sport in Buffalo, which isn't the one you'd choose if you were picking. Well, when you think about events, you mentioned that Kansas City's trying to get events and they're actually landing them. The only thing I can think of Buffalo actually getting outside of their two pro, major pro sports teams, NCAA basketball tournament first and second yeah. rounds. Yeah. They're Pretty in the regularly. rotation. They're That's in the a, rotation. Yeah, I feel like every other year you've got games in Buffalo that start the NCAA men's tournament. So that's one. They clearly have a good relationship a good with the point. NCAA to bring college basketball NCAA it's tournament It's a well-located arena that has uh, some of those um, you know, overpasses where you can – go to hotels and bars without being outside. So it's like Minneapolis in that respect. A little bit, yeah. A miniature Minneapolis uh, minus the dome aspect. <laughs> what a selling point. You know, that's the Chamber <laughs> of Commerce. That's what they're going to go with now. How would you describe your city? You know, we're not quite like Minneapolis, not nearly as but nice. Similarities. But there's some indoor walkways, but no dome. <laughs> also, no great stadium downtown. But other than that, oh, also no Major League Baseball team. But, we but have other wings. than all those nice things, we are just like Minneapolis. A lot of wings, and we're very close to Niagara Weather's Falls. very close, very similar. A little bit more wind. The wind's worse here. <laughs> other than that, it's all, it's all very close. Did we mention we have Niagara Falls? Yeah, very close also. That's very, very close. What do you think their biggest competition is? Like Indy? For events in Buffalo? 
No, for the for just college basketball games and stuff like that. Oh well, Indy's way ahead of them because Indy Indy has the well Indy they well, play they, in the football the, stadium. Well, yeah, that's right. So they'll and play then, Final Four and and they have the uh, they have the NCAA right there. Yeah, their uh, chief competition is Boise. Uh, there are places like that, Spokane. Um, no, but regionally though. Mm, well, Dayton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think it's not about too games. far from Cleveland. That's really. how they're choosing. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo. It's not too far from Cleveland, really. Brooklyn. But they're, they've been playing in Brooklyn at the at Barclays Center. But they don't play first and second round. I'm trying to think of first, consistent first and second round. Pittsburgh is another one that's close by. That gets first and second round yep. games. Not regionals, because now all the regionals are going to go. Typically, it's going to be a really nice NBA arena and or dome stadium. And then you get to the Final Four, and it's always in a football stadium. So does Indy ever like get first and second rounds on years where it doesn't get Final Fours? Indy, I don't recall that other than the bubble. Because it's the such bubble. a good arena. Yeah, t- Tennessee, remember, lost to right. Oregon State. And we were here having a watch party in Indy at the Fieldhouse. When they had everything In the on. bubble. But the Fieldhouse is a great venue, you know. Yeah, it's That'd nice. be a great place to host early round games when they don't have the big deal. Bobby Carpenter about to join us. We'll discuss Arch Manning committing to Texas. We will dive into Alvin Kamara and the possible suspension for the Saints running back and copywriting the word the. The Bobby Carpenter joins us next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up, an amazing stat that brings back nostalgia to the, the late 90s, early 2000s. One of my favorite teams growing up. We'll tie it in with Aaron Judge, the Yankees, and the, the run that the Yankees are on right now. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. So last night, at the, we've been recapping a bit of the NBA draft throughout the show today. And a handful of times, the commissioner or the uh, vice commissioner, I don't know what he goes by, assistant commissioner, um, assistant to the assistant commissioner, <laughs> The, they, they would use the word the, the Ohio State University. And I'm thinking, I mean, what, why are they stressing this so much? And I realize people say that, right? But it's because yesterday, Ohio State won the trademark for the word the. And this is something that they've been using since 1986, but it's been a three-year legal battle um, that concluded yesterday where they have officially registered the trademark V, um, after trying to brand this for years, and it's official now. It's the Ohio State University, and we have a gentleman who I, I always say former Buckeye. He's always a Buckeye. He'd tell you that. Bobby Carpenter joins us each and every Friday at this time. Bobby, good to see you, man, and um, welcome to a new trademark life. Please tell me you agree this is ridiculous. <laughs> I've been a proponent of it being ridiculous for a long time. And I understand like the Ohio State University, that's technically the name. And I love that the guys say it and all those different things, but the trademarking of a word 
I can't get behind. And it's a little bit of like just the university overreach to me. They want to dominate everything, sell everything. So people sell shirts and stuff to just say the on. Well, Ohio State's not getting any royalties off of that. In the trademark and licensing department, they're not getting anything. And so they were pushing to ultimately get this done. And you know, after a couple of years battling in court, I forget who else was in there with them. They kind of agreed on a joint who had filed a trademark for it together. It was, uh, it was like a medical company or something else. And they had agreed to kind of share the usage of it. So, I mean, while it's entertaining, I enjoy the use of it. The actual trademarking of it, I think, might be a, a bit of an overreach. Bobby, uh, what's your stance on trademarking a letter? Should Miami now trademark the letter U for the U? Is that, what, is that what's next, just to combat what's going on with the with Ohio State? Uh, you know, I guess that's where we're at now in society. I mean, I suppose so. I mean, here's the thing. Like, they already have a trademark on their orange and green U that is, you know, their their mascot or you know, one of their logos, like, I would think that that would be enough, but I guess if people probably make shirts down there and it just says the U on them and, you know, Miami probably can't profit off of that because they're not getting any trademark and licensing dollars. So, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me, gentlemen, if one day we ultimately see that happen. Speaking of the Ohio State, uh, quite the haul at receiver, thanks in large part to a guy I know that you've been praising and everyone in college football that I've seen on social media has praised Brian Hartline and the work he's done with receivers at the Ohio State University. Bobby, what do you think about uh, the guys you're bringing in now and this, the track record with Brian Hartline and what he's done with receivers? Well, it's you know he's done a phenomenal job, and he took over and uh, made Terry McLaurin, who was a you know five star guy. And Terry actually was in the weight room this morning at Ohio State. I was talking to him. He was a five star kid out of Indianapolis. And it got redshirted, which like the thought of redshirting someone today, I mean, oh my gosh, like transfer, I'm a five-star, I'm not going to play right away. But he's a great kid, got there. And so Brian kind of took over the receiver room. His senior year was helping his junior year. And in doing so, helped develop him as an elite route runner. And now he's been the best thing the Washington Commanders have. And he's going to probably end up getting a deal that I would imagine have an, an average annual value of somewhere around 20 to 24, 25 million, because that's, what the going rate is for number one receivers. So, so he's been able to do this with those guys. You saw, obviously, the two guys go in the first round last year. He was critical in the development of Jamison Williams before he went to Alabama. Jackson Smith and Jigba is most likely going to be a first rounder. And he went to school there. And that's that's the one thing. Like, guys, I, I don't know if I could ever be a college coach. Like, people have asked about it. And there are a couple guys, and, you know, I, I always joked with Jason Witten about going back and taking over Tennessee. And I'm like, you know, buddy, you're one of the few people that I could coach for that probably wouldn't be at my alma mater but just because I respect the type of man you are and everything that you understand. And my wife loves your wife, and that would make it easier because coaching wives, it's it's a tough business. But, like, when you're an alumnus of a university and you're the head coach or the a coach there, the wide receivers coach, like you don't have to – it's not really so much of a sell as it is you're able to just tell about the experiences you had, what you're going to be able to do for them, and the track record is now there. So, it, Brian, I, I don't know how he does that. I've watched him talk to some of these guys. You know, he, did a, he had a nice NFL career, played seven, eight years. You know, had two seasons where he averaged 75 yards and 75 catches and 1,000 yards. Like, super talented guy, but he was really a grinder. And he's he's great, a great technician. I think a lot of players now look at this like, hey, I'm really talented. I can go here and play for this guy. He's going to get the most out of me. I'm at a university where I get a chance to, you know, probably have a shot playing for national championships. 
And, you know, it's a situation, a school that has a pretty good NIL situation. So it kind of, I think just checks all the boxes. And I, I mean, Brian, I don't know how you could have, I mean, every kid he's getting is like a four and five star. He, he's out recruited Alabama over the last four to five years for receivers. Now, I, I don't know how that's even real because they seem to have the market cornered on just about everything. Um, but the amount of top, you know, ESPN top 100, top 300 guys, it's just ridiculous. So he's a great communicator. I think he's a fairly young dude. He'll get out there and still run around with him sometimes. I think guys just kind of really appreciate that. Bobby Carpenter with us on Outkick 360. Uh, I realize, Bobby, that Texas and Oklahoma don't join the SEC until 2024 or 2025. But I, I said yesterday, it felt like with the commitment of Arch Manning that Texas officially joined the SEC yesterday. How did? What was your reaction to Arch Manning selecting the Longhorns? And ultimately, what does it mean for the program in terms of landing him over other programs? No, that was big. It was big in Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma might have the NCAA men's baseball and softball champions when this is all done. I mean, they, they're on fire right now with what they've been able to do with their, their spring sports. And so they're bringing a lot more than just football ultimately to the SEC. But, you know, with Arch Manning, like, I, here's the thing. Like, I think Steve Sarkeesian's a, a really good offensive mind. He'd be a good head coach. No, he's pretty good at Washington. You know, obviously USC, he had his issues there. But I mean, he went five and seven last year at Texas. It wasn't like he set the world on fire and came in right away and, you know, at least went seven and five or eight and four. So, you know, Arch Manning, him going there, that's been a lot of faith in a guy as a head coach who really doesn't have that track record of success. Now you look at, you know, Alabama and, and uh, Georgia, the other two finalists. All right, you know, they're both defensive coaches. Uh, Georgia just won the the, the the national championship for heaven's sake. But if you look at Nick Saban and what he's been able to do, like, I don't, I guess I don't know. Maybe that's depending on, you know, do they think he'll be there for, you know, three, four, five more years? I don't know. But I think that's a huge coup. It does. That demanding name is, is really, that's the first family of football. And it's especially the first family of football in, with regard to the SEC. When you start talking about, you know, Archie and then, you know, and, and Eli at Old Miss, Coop going there, Eli or uh, Peyton obviously at Tennessee, and for you know, him to go to Texas while they just got Quinn Ewers going there, who is like the other can't miss generational pros prospect. Like it's pretty remarkable. And I was on uh, XM eighty four with Hester yesterday, Jacob Hester. We were talking about this, and I'm like, can you have two generational prospect uh, prospects, generational talents in the same generation, and then ultimately on the same team because that's what they're Quinn Ewers and and Arch Manning are supposed to be. So it's a huge coup for them, but we'll see ultimately, you know, will this pay dividends? Will they be able to you know, take Arch Manning, recruit around him, and get ready to go as they enter the SEC? Because his first year, you know, or, you know, as he gets in, they'll be joining the SEC during his tenure. And I think a lot of people are projecting that transition to be kind of bumpy if they don't get this thing off the ground and rolling. Bobby, I know you and I were, were tweeting back and forth a little bit yesterday, and I think your response was very common compared to a lot of people's response was, why would he not go to Alabama or Georgia? It shocks people when someone chooses Texas, who lost to Kansas a year ago at home, over a, a program like Alabama and Georgia right now. And, and I see it and think, man, college football is only going to be truly, truly great and competitive again when shock isn't the reaction when a five-star guy doesn't pick Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State or one of those programs. Like, the fact that we're surprised that Texas could land Arch Manning 
is surprising to me, but it's also a testament to the dominance of the programs that I mentioned that were in competition for Arch Manning. That dominance needs to shift a little bit, quite frankly. It does. And listen, I'm, I'm a proponent of that. I think college football is better when Texas is good. I think it's better when USC is good. It's better when, you know, Miami and Florida state, like all these schools that have historically been good, that they're good. And so hopefully this is that, but I just, I was surprised, I guess, with the Mannings, you know, and, and they do the research, they understand it. They got it. They know as well as anyone. They looked at this and said, Hey, we trust Steve Sarkeesian more as a head coach than we do Nick Saban. I know there's other factors that go into this, but like the Mannings, like NIL money, like that's, that's all well and good. Those things are great. Like they realize like that you're not stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. When you start talking about being a franchise quarterback, if you project out, you know, five, six years of him getting drafted first round pick, and then who knows what the deals will look like when he's coming through, maybe, you know, 50, 60, 70 million a year, you know, 10 years from now, assuming he becomes the player everybody thinks. So like, yeah, it's a couple million bucks. Is that going to be good? Maybe you could get a half a million more here versus there. Okay. But I just, I think they're putting a great deal of faith. So they must obviously know, and have a great deal of faith and a great understanding of what Steve Sarkeesian can be. I just, man, I'm not there fully yet with Sark. I'm more of a, I'm more of a bird in the hand versus two in the bush, or maybe one in the car versus two in the bar. Um, and I, I think they're just maybe rolling the dice a little bit here because I know that Nick Saban would make Arch Manning the best football player he could ultimately be. Do you think um, the SEC and uh, is going to accelerate? maybe it's TV partners accelerate Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference or uh, what's the deadline now? The 2025, 2025. Yeah. And, and Arch Manning is going to play most of his career in the big 12. I would think that they would try to accelerate this. You know, the reality is though, I know that they've got a pretty steep buyout with, uh, with the big 12. And I think that's what they're kind of looking at here at some point, like, you know, like Willie Nelson said, divorce is expensive because it's worth it in some situations. And maybe is it worth it if you're the SEC to be like, hey, we're going to help take some of the heat and burden some of this financial, you know, financial penalty for the Big 12 to get these two other massive schools to come in. And now the fact that Arch Manning is there and, you know, maybe some maybe some schools are like, hey, leave him out there. We don't want to play him. But you have to think about what that would do for the entire, the entirety of the conference, when you have a guy like that and all the storylines, think about it, you know, if Texas plays Tennessee, when Texas plays Old Miss, you know, they'll be flashing up and showing, you know, his family's names in the, in the stadium. And then he's down there in the burnt orange for, you know, the Longhorns. Like, I mean, dude, you're talking about if those teams are, are good and decent, like talk about massive ratings and massive storylines being built in the fact that he could be going against Nick Saban. I, I would tend to think, that they would want to get this done sooner rather than later. And probably part of it is, gentlemen, is they got to figure out exactly how they're going to structure the conference, you know, and structure whether it's the, you know, is it the seven and one? Is it the three? Is it the uh, six and three? You know, how are they going to lock these games in? Are they going to add a ninth conference game? Like there's so many questions that they still have to get figured out. And I know that's going to be the big push here probably over the next calendar year. And then maybe once they get that, then maybe you can start figuring out exactly, hey, you know, who we're going to, when we're going to bring them in, and maybe we bring them in a year early to help facilitate some of this. Bobby, I ask you this question because I think you're going to have a very exact answer to it, and I'm fascinated by your answer to this. You are a former Ohio State Buckeye. 
You are a businessman also, and you're someone who played in the NFL. So you understand monetary value on someone. Take the recruiting aspect out of it, because I do not think that Arch Manning was given money to go to Texas. But I think that NIL was probably discussed at Texas and everywhere else he's going to go. But the Manning family knows that he's valuable. Arch Manning is what NIL was made for, for big bankable advertising dollars on name image likeness with his family, with his celebrity status, with the ratings of games he's going to play in. What is his value per year as the starting quarterback in Austin, Texas, in the burn orange with a longhorn on the helmet on CBS and ESPN night games and ABC night games and with the name Manning, how much is he worth in NIL? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, you think about running ads with him in, in them in-game. And, gosh, I, I mean, this isn't like a local car dealer deal or something like that. I mean, people at Ohio State were hoping, like, hey, maybe you can get him to come to Columbus because Peyton has the deal with Nationwide, and that's where they're banked out of. And they could do, like, joint commercials, and that would be the headquarters. And it's like, well, what are you paying him something like that? I mean, well, what are you paying Peyton Manning to do that? Yeah. Uh, Peyton's not doing that for, for free. Like, I'm guessing he's probably getting – it's there's at least two there's two commas in it. I'll tell you that per year <laughs> is it you know two and a half three million dollars like four million. I mean, assuming he becomes the player that you think, and he's at a place like Texas in the st- state that's the size of Texas, where you know, they're probably gobbling up at least half of their college football fans, if not maybe sixty percent. You know, and they have all those big alumni boosters, the geographic reach. You're, imagine them like you said, they're in the SEC playing a Alabama night game, like those spots are going through the roof. And so you would want to have him tied in. And so you think about, you know, you know, AT&T's based out of, you know, San Antonio, why not throw them on, throw him in an AT&T deal. And he can be doing the Stafford commercials and stuff like that. Cause that that's ultimately what you're talking about. There's, you know, a national and regional brand, as opposed to someone who's just going to be doing it in their local market. He has that reach where everybody knows the name. Everybody knows the Manning name. And he's at a school that everybody knows. And if he's performing and producing like that and to be able to tie him to your company and put that out there, especially now in game while he's playing, I mean, that's incredibly valuable. I would say probably 5 million a year. I mean, that might, it might even be more than that, but I would say. And Bobby, that's probably two companies. I mean, you're talking about five. I'm I'm really thinking he could just choose AT&T or Nationwide, or Wendy's, or whatever, and make $2.5 a year for three or four years while he's there as a starting quarterback. And then he does it, He limits himself in terms of how many commercials he's shooting and what he's endorsing. I mean, I think if you wanted to go to three or four, we could be talking $8 to $10 million a year. That he, that, and that, I'm not talking about a, some sort of gift. That is fair market value for his name, image, likeness, and the celebrity he's going to be. Oh, I'm looking at this as those companies are deriving that value from having him. Like This isn't a gift. Yes. I think like their people would sit down and it's the same way they would sit down with Peyton Manning or the same way, you know, you pick your big celebrity athlete, you know, Tiger Woods with Nike or whatever it might be. And they look at that and say, hey, what, what is the value that we're getting? I mean, Nationwide has Peyton Manning on there. Like, I mean, he's their guy. It's him and Brad Paisley, for heaven's sake. I mean, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like the value that you can get. Like Tony Romo does these you know, does sketcher commercials nationally. He hasn't played in years. But like when you have a familiar face like that and you have a famous last name that everybody knows, 
like, and that's the thing, whether if, you know, and not understand college football is a, a very regional sport. And so, yeah, and during Texas, everyone in Texas knows you. And especially in the Southeast, the big 10's got a large following Northeast, not as much West coast, not as much, but here's the thing. Those, and it's not all attributed to him. I mean, some of this obviously was given at birth with his last name, but I mean, Peyton Manning played in Denver. He played in Indianapolis. Eli played in New York, the biggest market. People know the Manning name. They know that, that you are going to be able to have geographic reach because of that. And so he's in a situation that's unique wholly unto itself because you know, unless Tom Brady has kids that are great, you know, multiple ones of them, or, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, father, son, quarterback duos, you know, brothers and all those things. It's, it's such a rarity for a name to have that much value to where, you know, that Manning name, it's, I mean, the brand power behind it, it, it's as strong as probably anyone in sports. Bobby, since rookie contracts became slotted, uh, not every guy in the in the 20s has the pocket money to throw down 50000 or 75000 for a rookie dinner. Uh, this has become a big topic of conversation. What do you think should be happening with these guys maintaining the tradition but maybe not bankrupting a kid early? Well, the way I look at it is – Here's the thing. Like on my rookie dinner, I probably I think it was probably around I have the receipts still somewhere. I think it was like eleven and a half thousand dollars. And we had a first round pick on defense, third round pick, fifth round pick, and a couple like seventh round or a couple of free agents that made the team. And so like we kind of doled it out as far as you know how much you where you were at. And I was the eighteenth pick. So I, I of that like eleven thousand, I think I paid like seventy five hundred, you know, or third round pick paid like, you know, fifteen, two grand. Um, you know, our fifth round pick paid like a thousand. And then we had you know, the free agents and seventh round draft. They threw like 500 bucks. But here's the key too: like our vets were there and we had Aaron Glenn, Greg Allison. We didn't even have everybody that went because they're like, I've got family time. I had a game with my kids tonight or something, but you know, they also, a lot of the vets, Hey man, here's a couple hundred bucks. Here's 500 bucks, whatever. We'll take care of the tip. And they threw in probably went into being, you know, $3,000. So it's like, all right, we give the waitress servers, great tip. We did it all like, they got some nice wine. We had some nice steaks. And then we all went out. And then the vets kind of took care of that, everything after that. Like the only time where it got really bad in Dallas, I saw was like Des Bryant was one of the first. He got hit for like 50 grand. And the reason why is during training camp, he wouldn't carry any of the other receivers' pads. You know, he didn't want to bring coffees and do all this stuff. And it's like, man, we're going to hit you up at the rookie dinner. Like, because it's about falling in line. Like there is no like hazing anymore. There's none of that stuff. But there is like a rite of passage and understanding like, Dude, this is the best of the best in the world, man. The football is the top gun of, of professional football. Like, a football, you're getting here. These guys are all elite. Everybody's gone through this. Peyton Manning carried pads. You know, he did this. Tom Brady, all these guys, you know, did these things. Terrell Owens, you know, was carrying Jerry Rice's pads. Like, so everybody has done these things. And so it's just, I don't think it should get ridiculous. You get some guys, some of these guys who are kind of bitter, and I think, you know, they try to take stuff out on rookies. Yeah, man, 50 grand, that's, that's absurd. And understand we've got some inflation. Beef costs a lot more. The wine's probably more expensive. There's a bunch of things that we got to deal with in this country. But I would say, you know, for first round draft pick, showing out twenty thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, and then you know, if you have other, you know, defensive or offensive players, depending on how teams do it, you know, some teams just do it with a unit, you know, with their rookie or whatever, you know, on one side of the ball or position group. But you know, you do that, it's like all right, that's kind of your tribute to get in as a first round draft pick, and not having everybody. 75 grand is ridiculous, but I'm in the camp. 10 to $20,000, man. Like, dude, you've got to this point. 
It's now you take care of the vets for one night. And in doing that, they will take care of you on the field. They share their knowledge, they share their wisdom, and they treat you with the respect that you deserve as long as you're warranting it and showing up and working. Bobby, we legitimately have 60 seconds left, but give me your order as a veteran as you sit down and you know it's rookie payment night at a, at a nice dinner. You're like my order, like, oh, so I'm going to probably get tomahawk ribeye. I'm going to get a, probably a bottle of Camus. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big lobster guy, so I wouldn't get that. I might get some shrimp or something on the side. Some scallions. I love some steamed Brussels. Scallions, some steamed Brussels sprouts. There we go. Something like that. And then at the end of the night, I mean, I don't eat a lot of desserts, but if we're going to a nice steakhouse like a Nick and Sam's or a Papa Brothers in Dallas, I'm going to probably at the end of the night get like a nice, whatever their featured dessert is, creme brulee or like a big cake or something like that. And then how many people are around the table on average? Um, We had our whole side of the ball on defense. So it's usually like 22, 23. Usually I say they're going to come and like my year's probably 18. So, I mean, you do that and some guys get some bottles of wine. They get Louis the 13th, which is, you know, 300 bucks a shot. But like that stuff, it doesn't get that crazy. Like you realize like, all right, like, okay. As a rookie, I'm adding up everything in my mind. I'm like, this is going to be so much. Right. And then I saw it. I was like, all right, dude, this is going to be probably my, my first paycheck in my, my rookie season, and then we'll be good. And I'm sure the, the dinner was delicious, delicious, and this is why we asked the tough questions to Bobby Carpenter so I we could live vicariously through his history. He had an answer, too. He went oh, rolling yeah. right through that order. I think he I took it easy it. on us on that yeah. order as well. It's <laughs> making me hungry, though. Uh, at Carp 3 is where you can find him. Bobby, thank you for the time. Uh, always on time and making time for the show on Fridays. We appreciate it. Have a good you. trip. You guys, too. Enjoy it. Thanks, right. Bobby. Bobby Carpenter every Friday with us. Uh, one of my favorite, my favorite team other than the Braves, because the Braves run every night. Seattle Mariners. And if you can tie in a stat with the 2000, 2001, 2002 Seattle Mariners stretch run there with Griffey and Buner and Edgar Martinez and others, you've got my attention. Paul's got a stat that compares the team this year and what the Mariners did in their prime. In, in Yeah, in the prime. The prime time of the steroid era. Connect me to the steroid era next on Outkick 360. Inject it. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. So the Yankees are on a tear right now. Outkick 360 rolls on. That goes without saying. They're on pace, I believe right now, if they're not a game behind, they're a game in front of where the Mariners were in 2001. That team with Griffey and everyone that won like 113 games and then bowed out in the playoffs pretty quickly after that. But point being, that was a fun regular season on the ESPN Wednesday night doubleheader, Sunday night baseball, where that lineup was on all the time. And we're, we're beginning to see that more often uh, with the Yankees. And, and, you know, even last night, they're down 3 nothing, 6-3. They come back to win 7-6 and a walk-off by Aaron Judge. Uh, Paul, tie it into the the Mariners uh, a decade later because they're on the same tear with with walk-offs. Well, these were the 2009 Mariners actually hold the, the Major League Baseball record for walk-offs in a season. 13, which sounds like a massive number, right? To win yeah. 13 games in the ninth inning uh, and to walk off. 
The Yankees got their ninth walk-off last night. That was the Aaron Judge hitting a, a single to drive in a run um, to win a game that I thought they had no, no business winning. That puts them on pace. I did the math. I like got out the old calculator. For 20. They could, uh, you know, I don't know that they keep up the pace. They're on pace for 20 walk-off wins this year, which would, uh, you know, kill the, the record of 13. Uh, just ridiculous numbers that they keep putting up. I've got a second one here. I've got to go find my bookmarks on Twitter. So but, 2001, just going back a, a earlier in time to that record. So they're on pace, the Yankees right now, for 120 wins. The 2001 Mariners were 116 and 46. That's how, that's how dominant that team was then, and how dominant the Yankees are this season, Paul. Yeah, that's that. I mean, you can like actually remember all their losses at this point. We're almost to the Fourth of July, and I feel like if you're a Yankees fan that watches every game, you could probably mentally go back and remember the games they've lost. That's how few times yeah. they've lost. They're, they've got 18 losses. They're 34 games over 500 right now. Ridiculous. I failed to properly bookmark this other thing. Let me see if I can find it real fast. By the way, the Toronto Blue Jays have changed that hat. So it's it doesn't have red, white, and blue, the July 4th hat. It's just kind of bluish. Now it's just the color of the team. It's, it's in, it's they in it back line to a with hat. the theme, but it's yeah. not a 4th of July <laughs> hat anymore. Yankees are the only team in baseball that has a winning record in games where they trail at any point. They're 20 and 18. Brent Hobbs next on Outkick 360.